Okay, so I'm going to ask, why do you prefer fantasy over sci-fi, which is clearly incorrect? <laughs> oh, those are, those are harsh and fighting words. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever wondered what it's like to discover a brand new world? In the last three decades, we've found over 5,000 planets outside our solar system called exoplanets. I'm Dr. Jesse Christensen, the lead scientist at the NASA Exoplanet Archive. This is Explore Exoplanets, The Discoverers, a series where I interview the brilliant minds behind the discovery of brand new planets. Welcome back. Jen, we just established that your favorite fictional planet is Roshar from Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archives. Tell us why this is your favorite planetary system. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the novels, which I find super engrossing and entertaining to read. Um, but I, I do love that there's a lot of nuance into how the, the description of the planet plays into what folks experience on that world. So there's established um, in a uh, some of the kind of supporting books in this, this universe that it is a little bit smaller than the Earth and that the gravity on the planet is lower than what we experience here on Earth. It's something like 70%. And so you have like much larger creatures that are able to support themselves and walk around than would be feasible here. And they talk about how the planet has a very high oxygen environment. So like fires aren't really a thing. Like we don't use fire as the basic source of light or heat because they would get out of control relatively quickly because it's a very rich environment and things like that. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask, why do you prefer fantasy over sci-fi, which is clearly incorrect? <laughs> oh, those are, those are harsh and fighting words. <laughs> um, I, I think for me, fantasy novels often focus a little bit more on the personal scale than the, you know, kind of universe or like galactic scale. And I enjoy detailed character development and like great dialogue between characters more than I necessarily need the like, here's the overarching scope of like the war between solar systems. And that, that's a mm -hmm. gross generalization of both genres, but <laughs> I think it's the thing that drew me early on to fantasy, and that's kind of where my heart lies for, you know, when I want to, like, take a break from doing my real job and escape for a little bit. That's what I look for. That's fair. And, you know, for folks who haven't read the Stormlight Archive series, it's incredibly rich and detailed on the characters' backstories, like how they got to the point that we see them today. Uh, so I completely understand enjoying that aspect. It's just done so well in these yeah. books. What do we know about the Roshar system, though? So you've told us a bit about the planet. What do we know about the system that the planet's in? Yeah, so the system is comically packed almost with planets. So it is somewhat <laughs> similar to our own solar system in that there are three inner terrestrial planets that are relatively close to the star. And then there's an asteroid belt. And then there are, I think, 10 gas giant planets further out in the system. <laughs> So it's, it's, you know, gone above and beyond what we can say in our own solar system. But the basic structure is similar. And then Roshar right. itself has, I think, three moons around it, which are specifically noted as being in, like, really eccentric orbits that would otherwise be unstable. And so there's a suggestion of, like, you know, some force in the, the universe did this intentionally. Like, these moons don't sit and maintain this, this arrangement of orbits by themselves. Gravity says no. <laughs> 
Well, that's interesting because in real life, we have discovered quite eccentric systems. We don't have any moons yet, but we have found planets that orbit their stars in a really, really eccentric way. Okay, so broadly similar to our solar system. So rocky inner planets, asteroid belt, a bunch of outer giant planets. So we did check the NASA Exoplanet Archive to find the closest real-world counterpart to the Roshar system. And our carbon copy for this week is the HD191939 system. And yes, I had to practice that a bunch. Uh, so, so Jen, tell us about the HD191939 system. Sure. Um, so yes, yeah, so there, there is not yet a perfect mimicry of the Roshar system. But HD191939 is uh, as close as we've got at the moment. So it also has three smaller inner planets. And these were also discovered by TESS, NASA's uh, Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite. They're a little bit larger. They're all about three times the radius of the Earth rather than being you know, roughly Earth-sized like Roshar is. And then after TESS found those planets, a bunch of astronomers using ground-based radial velocity telescopes like the work that I do focused on the system because one thing we've learned over the last decade or so is that if you find a couple of planets around a star, you're likely to find more if you just keep looking at it. And so after using the ground-based facilities, including the automated planet finder, uh, they found a much longer period uh, sub-Jupiter. It's like 30% the mass of Jupiter, I think, planet. And then signs of an even bigger, something that's more massive than Jupiter on like a many decades orbit. And that one, they don't know the exact period of yet because it's, you know, at least uh, 2000 days, I believe. So we just haven't been looking long enough. Like we didn't find the system early enough to have the baseline we need to confirm that guy yet. Okay. So, so it's broadly similar to Roshar yeah. in the sense that it's got a number of smaller planets close to the star and then a number of bigger planets further away. Yeah. Okay. Are any of the planets in the habitable zone of the star? I don't believe so. I believe that all of the smaller planets are too close, so they'd be too hot to be, you know, considered really habitable. And then the more Jupiter-sized planets are just too big for habitability to really mean anything sensible. Sure. Uh, so yes, once you get to be a gas giant, it's hard to know whether you're habitable or not. Uh, yeah. Often we talk about having moons, these gas giants having moons, and maybe oh, the moons fair. are habitable. Uh, but yeah, the, the gas giants themselves, it's hard to imagine something like the life we know existing on something like a gas giant. Yeah. Okay, so that's our carbon copy for this week, the HD191939 system. Now I've said it three times flawlessly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, so let's move on. Jen. You've discovered planets, at least six, contributed to dozens more. Are you still looking for planets? Oh, of course. That's the whole name of the game. Yeah, so the, the goal moving forward, um, especially in the radio velocity uh, area where I work and working towards what we call extreme precision radio velocity, which is in that mouthful of a job title that you had to read at the beginning of this interview, um, is to actually get to the point where we can find Earth mass planets in the habitable zones of sun-like stars. That is like the holy grail of what we are all trying to do. Right now, that is not something that the field is capable of. We're you know, a factor of like five to 10 away from having the, the precision that we need in our measurements to achieve that kind of detection. But the fact that we're finding planets you know, bigger than the Earth, but smaller than Neptune and in things approaching habitable zone orbits of stars like the sun is all really encouraging. So 
I think the field is moving in the right direction. There's a lot of interest in this, both from NASA's point of view and from you know general astronomy and astrophysics points of view on why this matters and why we want to understand you know the commonality of solar systems like our own. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you're on the case, Jen. <laughs> We're working hard right. at it. While you're out there looking for more planets, is there a fictional planet that you'd really love to find? I mean, I feel a little bit uh, repetitive in saying this, but like Roshar is, you know, very much the goal of what we're looking for and that it is, I mean, this is even more challenging. It's only like 60% the mass of the Earth. So maybe a, a slightly bigger version of it <laughs> would be helpful. Yeah. It's like, you know, getting down to, to Mars and Mercury levels here. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think that really is the goal for me as a scientist and my community as a whole is pushing towards this idea of Earth mass planets in the habitable or temperate zones of their stars where you could imagine, you know, life coming to exist and, and being able to like grow and evolve. Right. Well, let's hope there's some Roshar systems out there that we're able to find in the near future. It's time to answer some questions from the audience. We're so glad you're with us and that you're curious about exoplanets. Uh, one question we had, which actually Jen just dropped before, so it's really timely, is what do astronomers mean by Earth-like planets? So Jen, when you mentioned before that that's what we're looking for, what did you really mean? Ooh, so that, that has a variety of answers depending on who you ask. Um, the way I think about Earth-like is a planet that is about the same mass of the Earth, because that is the base unit for radio velocity detections, that is far enough away from its star that it could have water on the surface of the planet, um, so in what we call the habitable zone of the star. And then, you know, you can get more and more detailed with this. Earth-like to some people can mean it has to have an atmosphere that has things like oxygen and nitrogen that, like, our Earth does, or it has mm -hmm. to have, you know, continents like a mix of land and water features on the surface and there's a, a deep deep rabbit hole you can go down and adding more and right. more criteria <laughs> right so i think when people are trying to be safe instead yes. of saying earth-like they'll say earth size because yep. and that's that's something we have access to right like all of these other wonderful things you mentioned about atmospheric composition and tectonic activity and stuff we don't have a way of really knowing these facts for earth-sized planets yet that are in the habitable zones um, so a lot of people default to Earth's size, uh, but when you take an Earth-sized planet and put it in the habitable zone of a sun-like star, maybe magic happens. Maybe yeah, science happens. Your probability <laughs> goes up at least, and that's a good starting point. All right. Thank you, Jen, for being with us today. Again, Jennifer Burt is the EPRV investigation scientist up at NASA's JPL. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you want more out of this world astronomy content, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where you can send us your burning questions about exoplanets, real or fictional, and beyond for us to tackle in an upcoming episode. Bye.